Hello everyone, this is Zahra with NASOC. Today we are here with another episode um, from the Palestine series. So we are often seeing in the media how Palestine is portrayed and we are always hearing stories about how there's another war, and things like that. But rarely do we ever see how life is truly like in Palestine. What is, what is the day-to-day -day life there? So in today's podcast, we'll be speaking about how life is like in Palestine, how the education system is like, as well as how the healthcare system is like, and any other misconceptions that we may have. So today we are here with two guest speakers, one who lived in Gaza and one who lived in West Bank. So Omar, can you introduce yourself, please? Um, yep. Um, I'm uh, Omar Sharif. Um, I'm a Palestinian. I've lived in Palestine for half my life. Um, and I live in the West Bank. Um, yeah. Me. Great. And Khaled, can you introduce yourself, please? So, alaikum. My name is Khaled Al Alul. Um, I'm a Palestinian as well from Gaza. Um, I was born in Gaza and stayed there till the age of seven. Uh, and then soon after, I came here to the UK. Wow. So, you both have really early childhood experiences in Gaza and West Bank, which is mm -hmm. really interesting. Um, yeah. Amar, have you ever visited West Bank again after you've came back here to the UK? Yes, um, but most of the time we uh, meet in Jordan due to the pressures on the border. Mm -hmm. um, and so Jordan is like a, 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 I would say, safe haven where we can go in and go out with without as much trouble as we would face if we were going to go through the Israeli border in order to get to the West Bank. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Okay. And Khaled, is that similar to you to access Gaza? Yeah, yeah, going to Gaza is, is quite difficult. In fact, it's, it's very difficult. Um, the last time I've been to Gaza was 2011. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's been quite some time. You know, it's been difficult because in the past 10 years, there's been around how many? Four wars. Yeah. Um, and because of my education, because I'm in school, etc. So if I go down to Gaza, I risk not being able to come out. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's why it's been quite difficult for me and my siblings to go to Gaza. However, my parents have been quite a lot. Yeah. Um, but inshallah, soon soon I, c I get to go um, and see my family there. Inshallah. So you said it's more difficult for your siblings to go than your parents. Like, is it is it because you said you're in education still? Or how does that work out? Well, like I said, if it, since I'm in education, you know, I yeah. have to come back to the UK at a certain time. Um, okay, yeah. For the academic year when it starts. Um, now, when you go to Gaza, if I'm not sure if you guys know or not, but the borders are quite strict. Uh, right. Whether it's, it's through Israel or whether it's through Egypt, um, they're not they're not really permanent. Yeah. Uh, the Egyptian border, you know, closes quite frequently. I think um, in 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 two in 2020, the border was open like for 30 percent of the year. Wow. That's through Egypt. Yeah. Mm. So so yeah, it's, it's been quite difficult in that sense. Mm, to go back yeah yeah i think it's important to get an understanding of the border so how mm. you know, it's really hard for us palestinians to enter palestine because there's only two borders so so for example if you want to go mm. to gaza the mm. only way you can go to gaza is either through the jordan crossing where you go so where you have palestine you also have israel which controls the border mm. even within the palestinian territories and mm. even so it controls the border with Jordan uh, and 
then you have the Jordan border outside the Israeli border. Obviously, they control their own borders. So mm -hmm. in order for us to come to Palestine, so for me in the West Bank, I'll explain Gaza in a minute. So in order for me to get into the West Bank, the only way I can get into the West Bank is through the Jordan crossing. If I want to go through Gaza, there's so much complicated stuff that's going to happen. And I'm probably going to be sent back like 99% of the time. So yeah. the only way that I can go across is through Jordan. Um, and from Jordan, um, you get treated nicely and you go through um, as a Palestinian and then you come to the Israeli crossing. Now, the, in all, the, this crossing divides, you know, it, it surrounds the Palestinian territories and mm -hmm. Palestinians are not in charge of it. Um, even though um, we have our own government, um, so-called government, the Palestinians really aren't in charge of it. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's Israel. And so in order to get across to um, what I would call my country, I would have yeah. to go through to through a different country's borders. Right. And in order to do that, I have to go past Israeli checkpoints, um, Israeli searches, Israeli everything. Um, but the risk is that 50 percent of the time you're allowed to cross. 50 percent of the time you're not. You know, it depends on who's standing there. Um, who's at the checkpoint, who's, who's, who's you know, searching you, if they're angry, if they're happy. It depends on the mm. soldier that's, um, you know, controlling the area or the manager at that time. Yeah. Um, that's how I view it, um, because a lot of Palestinians, they've got nothing on them. Um, they go to, um, they, they want to go to Palestine. Um, they come to this, to the Israeli crossing. They make them wait for 24 hours because that's the maximum amount of uh, time that you're allowed to, you know, hold a person. Um, mm -hmm. They miss their flights, um, and then they're told just to get sent back. Now, if you get sent back, which mm -hmm. happens quite frequently, then they can impose on you a ban from entering your own country. So mm -hmm. it could be up to um, ten years. I've seen some people have it for ten years or even more. Um, mm -hmm. And it's even more. It's even worse when you're an activist. So let's just say you're a Palestinian. You're active outside of Palestine. And you want to get into Palestine, then they impose these restrictions on you and you're not allowed to enter the very country that you are from, the very place that you were born in. Um, so it's very dangerous in that aspect. Even activists who are not Palestinian themselves struggle to get in. I've known of uh, activists who want to uh, who wanted to come to Palestine to help Palestinians um, provide aid and things like that. And they've really yeah. struggled. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess as Palestinians, so a lot of people who may be listening to this, when they think if they've been to Israel, they would have been through Tel Aviv. Um, that's the airport there. Uh, obviously, Palestine doesn't have an airport. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and as Palestinians, we're not allowed to go through Israel. We're not allowed to even enter it. Uh, mm -hmm. And we're not allowed to go through Tel Aviv. So it's not as simple as, uh, you know, a, a foreigner coming mm -hmm. into Palestine. Um but yeah, even then restrictions are applied. But yeah, the other with regards to Gaza, uh, and I'm sure uh, Khalid would be um, more clear on this. But mm -hmm. uh, there's the, you can enter through Jordan, as I said before, and then you've got the Gaza. You can enter through um, Egypt, um, and if you want to enter through Egypt or Jordan, you've got the same type of pressure on you. But if you want to enter through Jordan and then go mm -hmm. to the Israeli checkpoint, you're searched more your um you know you, you could be banned from ever entering palestine you know you've got a higher chance of that happening mm. um and they're very they're very extremely careful about that because um 
you know, because of the situation in Gaza, they want to control what goes in and what goes out. And so you'd be put in the middle. Um, with Egypt, obviously, it has security ties with Israel. And so they, they, um, they follow the same procedures and it's hard on both sides. Um, mm -hmm. But there's only two cross, one entrance from Egypt into Gaza. And as you can see, you know, Gazans are trapped. I would call them Gazans as a people, um, mm -hmm. but if you have a different name, do tell me. Um, but the Gazans are trapped within an area of land um, mm -hmm. that they're not allowed to leave, that they're not allowed to enter through. And it should they want to leave or have a reason for leaving or entering through, yeah. they are exposed to the most serious, the most extreme checks the most extreme oppression, the most extreme differences, they are put to the side and they're treated so differently. They're yeah. treated like animals, not like humans. And that's mm. how Palestinians, you know, if you're a Palestinian going in and out of the country, you're treated like an animal. Mm. Wow. Can I just ask, Ahamar, like, what kind of checks would they do? Um, have you ever been through, like, any of these extreme checks yourself? Um, it, it's I... a variety of checks, like background yeah. checks, um, I'm mm -hmm. sure Khalid, um, you know, they, they search Gazans more than me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Khalid, um, uh, sorry, um, yeah, but it's it, it's background checks to see yep. where you've got activism, yeah. history checks, how you've entered the country, where you've come right. from, mm. um, and things like that. Very yeah. thorough. So Khalid, can you just talk us through your experiences of trying to enter Gaza? Yeah, so... Like, like Omar mentioned, uh, there is actually two entrances to Gaza. You have one uh, through Egypt, what we call the Rafah border crossing, and one from Israel, uh, which is the Eris border crossing. Mm -hmm. Now, because obviously Gaza is under a siege, which is imposed by the Israeli government, um, and with the cooperation and the current Egyptian regime, like mm -hmm. I said, it's physically difficult to get into Gaza. Yeah. Um, so it's not open to individuals who uh, wish to explore the region. Um, but it's actually open to maybe journalists or individuals who have some sort of connection to, to an international organization. So right. They might have a chance of entering. Um, so yeah, so to enter Gaza, you, not, you, might, yeah, you must have a legitimate reason yeah. um, before you can apply for an Egyptian or an Israeli travel permit. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. Now for me, if I do want to go to Gaza, uh, as well as most of the uh, Gazans, if I want to call them that, um, they, they go through Egypt simply because it's known for being easier well, the, the journey from Egypt is not actually easy, but it's just easier than the, the one crossing the Israeli border. Um, obviously, because that one's controlled by the Israeli army and officials um, and the application process of getting that Israeli travel permit. You know, it's known for, for taking a long time and having long delays. Uh, so, yeah, very small number of permits uh, are awarded to people uh, through mm. that. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah, so, so mm -hmm. for me, if I wanted to go to Gaza, I would have to catch a flight to Cairo hmm. um, and then from Cairo I'd have to get a bus uh, or a taxi all the way to the Rafah crossing border hmm. uh, to Gaza which is like a six hour drive wow. um, hmm. and on that journey there you have several security checks like Omar mentioned yeah. um, by the Egyptian police and um, they interrogate you they ask you what's your purpose of your visit uh, yeah. They check your travel documents as well as your possessions. You know, I've seen them go through my my luggage, uh, sometimes even taking yeah. out some stuff without even basically stealing. Um, right, okay. It happens yeah. to a lot of Palestinians. Mm. Um, and this whole process can take many hours. They can hold you at a checkpoint for six hours or even longer if they want wow. to. Mm. 
Well, that, yeah. is, that is hard. That is, I can't imagine. Like, because and I can imagine, like, the average layperson, um, their thoughts would be that if you would try to enter Palestine, you'd have to go through the Palestinian government, as like mm. naive as that viewpoint might be. But knowing that there's checkpoints within occupied Palestine, even, or to try and enter into Gaza, that's controlled by Israel. That's just something that, that we don't really hear a lot about, you know. Uh, but I just want to like talk a bit more about what Omar said earlier about how there's, um, there's checkpoints inside occupied Palestine that there are Israeli soldiers so in your youth Omar have you ever encountered um, Israeli soldiers around and what was your experience like could you say? Yeah I think on a constant basis every mm. single day of my life yeah. um, I would encounter a soldier you'd have wow. to mm. there's no way that you cannot they're everywhere um, mm. and the fear that comes with them is everywhere yeah. as well you know the moment you see a soldier you're like What's going to happen now? You know, yeah. Yeah. is that soldier in a bad mood? Is he going to shoot somebody and say, oh, it's self-defense? You know, that's yeah. how it happens in Palestine. Anybody shoots, you know, you're, you're walking or you're driving your car and all of a sudden somebody shoots at you and their yeah. excuse is self-defense. Um, there's a lack of human rights. There's a lack of, you know, humanity um, yeah. um, when, when uh, with regards to um, the treatment of Palestinians by Israel. But yeah, going back to your question, um yeah every single day of my life um if i yep. wanted to go shopping um mm. from my town to the city i'd have to go through a checkpoint if i wanted to go visit friends i'm gonna have to go through the checkpoint and then forgetting wow. the fact that mm. you know i could be stopped by soldiers just by e exiting my house yeah um yeah. and searched mm. just by that like, like that we live in a totally um a, a, in a totally um police state yes um, mm. if you can call that there's two states in one I would say there's two states. Some, you know, the current Israeli government wouldn't say that. Yeah. Um, but there are two states in one, and then there are three levels. Um, and I guess yeah. I wanted to point that out before. So you have the Israelis who have all the rights and um, um, and everything associated with that, everything yeah. associated with having a country, yeah. just like what you would um, connect with having the British passport and you know you've got freedom of movement you can travel to different countries you know there's no restrictions mm -hmm. on you as, as such um and then you've got the Palestinians in the occupied territory mm. the occupied territories so that's excluding Gaza so just in the West Bank and these people have an ab you know uh, barely any rights yeah mm. Um, you know, we haven't got rights of free movement. Like I said, if I want to go shopping, I have to go through an Israeli checkpoint and it's their choice to let me through or not. And then I've got a risk of, you know, getting killed because, mm. you know, it could just be uh, something called self-defense that they just did. Um, I remember, I remember as a child, um, I had a gun pointed to my head just because I went and oh, I, I, yeah. I hurt my, um, I managed to hurt my head and I went and had an operation and I came back. Wow. Um, I had to go through an Israeli checkpoint and a soldier just pointed the gun at my head and he was like, is that a bomb? I was wow. a seven-year-old child, wow. seven child, and I guess mm. I'll never forget that moment. Mm. Um, and so, whatever you are, you're a child, you're an adult, you're treated as if you're, you know, yeah, you're something different. You're not, you're not a human. They don't yeah, treat you yeah. as a human. They don't treat you as anything. Yeah. Um, and so, when and then you have the Gaz, the Gazan people, yeah, who come from Gaza, and they literally have no rights outside of Gaza. Yeah. So you've yeah. got Gaza, which is controlled by Hamas, mm -hmm. and um, as a political party or as a political body, as well as a, a, a military body down there. Yeah. Um, and 
they have their they have some sort of rights because you've got a government there but outside of israel which is where you get everything in you know yeah it, it you know gaza is surrounded by israel and mm -hmm. so in order to get stuff in it needs the approval of israel and so there are no rights for the Gazan people at all. Like at least yeah. Palestinians yeah. from the West Bank can move. Yes, with all the hardship. Yes, with all the suffering. Yes, with all the fear. We can yeah. move from one city, one town to another, mm -hmm. from one area to another. We can go out of our houses. But with regards to Gaza, you yeah. don't have access to water. You have access to electricity six hours a day mm -hmm. um, only. And you don't have you have limited access to food. Uh, and then in the previous war, you find Israel focusing on farms. They're burning farms and bombing farms and kill, wow. killing people. Mm. Mm. Um, so you're creating this crisis for the Gazan people. And it's it's on such an extreme scale that mm. in a way there's that Gaza sits in a place where you find people who are oppressed. On, on a scale that you've never we've never seen before in any type of conflict Definitely, yeah. within an open air prison as i'm sure many of your viewers um you know Listen, listeners yeah. have, um would maybe have heard about yeah. um and that prison is controlled by the what you would say the guards which is israel yeah. and mm -hmm. they put anything in mm. under except under the um duress of humanitarian organizations and things like that right. uh, and, and then they can cancel it but yeah sorry mm -hmm. i've spoken a bit too much but it's a it's, it's something mm -hmm. you know when you talk about soldiers being everywhere in the streets yeah. every single day of your life and then mm. you come to live in a country where you know you don't see soldiers in every every day of your life yeah mm -hmm. um, and you can see the stark difference um yeah. and and it's just shocking and you wonder how people because i would say as a child i got used to that yeah. So a child mm. got used to seeing soldiers, seeing guns, seeing um, people oppressed, having fear the moment they see a soldier, having the fear the moment mm. they hear an aeroplane, having mm. fear the moment they see um, an Israeli tank going across the mountain, right? Wow. You know, we have hills. Um, mm. And so it's just, it's just a shocking um, contrast mm. to yeah. the lives that other people live. And I think mm. it's important to raise awareness about that. Yeah, thank you so much, Amar. Like, all you were saying was very informative and the way you were describing your childhood and that you routinely saw soldiers and tanks and aeroplanes and just by you, you're like associating that with fear and trauma and things like that. Like that is such a perspective that we don't really get to hear much about, you know, especially how you said you came back here and there's a massive contrast in how our society here is very like, maybe very, very safe in a way, much safe, obviously much safer than Gaza and West Bank. You know, um, but there's one thing you said also that made me think, which is that you said you had you hurt your head and you had an operation. Um, and I want to ask this question to Khaled as well. So, um, Khaled, how would you say access to healthcare is like in Gaza now um, or in your childhood? And currently with the COVID pandemic, how would you say um, Gaza is kind of dealing with, with what's going on now? So the healthcare system in Gaza right now is currently like it's on its knees yeah. um, because, like I said, it's, it's it's experienced its fourth war in just over a decade. So you can imagine how overwhelmed mm. the hospitals are with the dead, with the wounded from the Israeli bombardments. Mm. Now, not only like you, you also have years of the socioeconomic decline and the conflict and the closures. They they've basically left the health sector across Gaza lacking, you know, the the adequate physical infrastructure, the training opportunities. Yeah. Um, like I said, being overwhelmed by dead and wounded means that facilities are overstretched. Uh, overstretched. 
services frequently interrupted by power cuts as well. So basically in terms of the healthcare, the healthcare or the health system yeah. um, and uh, just everything within Gaza is all limited as a result of the tight borders imposed on it by, by Israel, like I mentioned before. Right, okay. Mm. So we, you know, obviously during, during the wars, uh, Israel will not, will not be sending, you know, the aid through the borders. They will be closing the, the, the borders mm. entirely. Um, and say the aid that comes from Egypt, it will be also uh, stopped because of the shellings. Uh, it's, you know, it's dangerous to for the mm. truck drivers to, to go into Gaza, etc. Wow. Um, mm. And not only that, but you also, you know, Gaza is, is one of the most densely populated areas within the world. Mm. Um, you can imagine how the population has, a, you know, an, an increase in risk in terms of their health. Yeah, um, transmission and disease transmissions. Things yes, like yes. Mm. And then you t- we're also talking about the poverty as well. Uh, Gaza, yeah. you know, poverty is a huge thing with the high un- unemployment rates. Mm. Uh, we're talking about over 90% of the water in Gaza is being deemed unfit for human consumption. Wow. Um, so these these all have a, a huge effect on, in terms of the healthcare, yeah. um, and you, we can't forget about the psychological trauma yeah. Um, yeah. and the environmental degradation that they have uh, because mm-hmm. of uh, which has a negative impact on the residents. Uh, you know, both their mm-hmm. physical and their mental well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, with, well, and the wars as well. We need to understand that they affect mostly the children. Yeah. Uh, you know, the children suffer from anxiety mm-hmm. um, and, and depression. You know, before mm. Israel's latest attacks on Gaza, you know, like one in three children mm. already required mental health support due to conflict-related trauma. Wow, one in three—that's that's one a, in three. That's a third. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, wow. mm. and it's like it's estimated like around fifteen to twenty percent of these children mm. needed some special intervention in order to, you know, withstand that trauma. Wow. Um, mm. But yeah, and then obviously mm. when we talk about the tight borders, we have to talk about how uh, the you know the vital medicines are being rapidly running out, um, mm. as well as the fuel, the fuel that keeps the electricity going. So we know there's 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 huge power cuts in Gaza. Uh, electricity mm. is a huge problem. Uh, there's only like one power plant in the entire Gaza, you know, trying to uh, supply for two million people. Mm. Um, so what they have to rely on is generators, and these generators require fuel. Mm. Um, and during the wars, you have you know a limit limited amount of fuel entering through the borders uh, because of the tight restrictions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and mm-hmm. in terms of health, the health system in general, um, we can't forget how Israel targets, you know, medical personnel. So, for example, in the 11-day war, the recent one, two of Gaza's prominent doctors were killed in, yeah. the, in the Israeli aggressions. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you guys heard, but, you know, you have the internal medicine consultant, Ayman um, Abulorov, mm-hmm. He was the leading COVID-19 team at the Shifa Hospital. Yeah, um, yeah. And you also have the, the health ministry neurologist, Moain Al-Alul, who's actually a family member of mine. He was wow. also killed mm. during the 11-day war. Oh. Um, and you also have, you know, the damage that's, that, uh, you know, Israel damaged 18 hospitals and clinics, mm. um, as well as the desalination plant, you yeah. know, that supplies clean water to a quarter million people uh, within Gaza. Um, now, in terms of the COVID-19, um, not sure if you guys heard, but even in this 11-day war, Gaza's um, only COVID-19 lab was hit. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that was the only virus testing lab in the entire Gaza. Uh, so that's been shut. I'm, I think they're trying to reopen it currently right now. Um, and not only that, you also have to think about the people that are being displaced as a result of this war. So you have, you know, tens of thousands of displaced residents. Now, where do you think these, these residents would go? They would go to makeshift shelters. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, most commonly are the, the UNRWA schools. Um, so you have, I think, around 60,000 residents in the past war had to flee from their homes to these shelters. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, in these shelters, they're in classrooms. Um, you can have five, up to five families in one classroom. You can mm-hmm. imagine how crammed that is. So yeah. they might be safe from the war. However, they're not going to be safe from the COVID, COVID from yeah. the pandemic that we're currently in. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I said they might be safe because in, 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 in the UNRWA schools, because in 2014, Israel actually targeted one of these schools that they knew mm. families were taking shelter in. You know, the, uh, you know, the United Nations has repeatedly said that they've been given the, uh, you know, the register of the families that are sheltering within, within these schools. So Israel knew who they were targeting. Yeah. So there's literally nowhere, nowhere for the Gazans to be safe within Gaza, even if they're, they're they're going like they're in shelters. They're in shelters. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, you have you know the IDF. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously they're attacking s- sleeping children, which is a violation of international law, yeah. um, which the international community is yet to condemn uh, and impose sanctions on Israel. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so overall, you know, you have a layer upon layer of crisis, um, mm-hmm. and there's never really enough time to build between these crises. Um, and yeah, so it's a, so the, the healthcare system is literally on its knees, and yeah, inshallah, in the future there's better outcomes. But yeah, inshallah. I mean, wow, like you just you brushed up on so many points from like the unemployment rate to the education system and how that ties in with the healthcare mm-hmm. and how healthcare is dependent upon the water and electricity. So it's such like an intertwined like problem you know and there's so many knock-on effects for example as you were speaking i was just thinking about how you know one in three children suffer mental health crisis and these are the future of you know gaza and west bank Mm -hmm. they are the future so imagine how that might impact their education and therefore the employability and it's just kind of like a spiral going down and down and down um Mm. and also another thing you said about how uh israel was targeting um, families inside that school like they knew that perhaps it was very densely populated as you said five yeah. families in, in one room of course it's going to be like a, a, a target that would has you know has a very high casualty rate um mm-hmm. another thing you said kind of linked back with what Hamra said about how um israel were purposefully targeting uh farms mm-hmm. um it's that is kind of like the best way to kind of ruin a society is to attack their, you know, the economy and the food and things like that. Yeah. So, so it's it's so like it's so multifaceted, so like so many layers, as you guys are saying. Um, but I want to talk a bit more about like Can I just really yes. go yeah. ahead, yeah. Just to add to um, what Khalid said, just before you move on. Yeah. Um, with regards to, uh, I would just like to add to what Khalid said with regards to the, um, you know, hospitals mm. being bombed and everything. Um, there came to there came a point when the path to the hospital was bombed. So yeah. there, there was hospital yeah. an area, and they, the path to that hospital was bombed by Israeli airplanes. Mm. Um, so people couldn't get to hospital. The injured people couldn't get to hospital. Um, and also, I just wanted to um, go, link, go, go and explain um, COVID-19 in the West Bank. Sure. Um, so um, obviously, Gaza, the, the, war, the war that happened recently was um, a war between what we would say the Palestinian people and Israel, but what Israel would call Gaza uh, and what the Western world would call between Gaza and um, uh, uh, Israel. Um, but it, Gaza was mainly was bombed mainly, um, and so that's why they call it that. But um, I wanted to talk about so 
I guess, yes, the West Bank wasn't bombed, but with regards to COVID-19, uh, I guess one misconception that I wanted to talk about. So we still we have the same issues with regards to COVID-19. Obviously, as an occupying power, um, uh, Israel has the obligation to um, provide us the vaccines. Um, since it has access to our resources, it controls our resources, it controls our economy, it controls our borders. Then at what point does it stop and say, oh, but yes, we control everything about your lives, but we're not going to control, you know, we're, we're not going to give you anything. We're not going to, you know, provide you with any humanitarian help or access or anything like that. Um, so uh, there, there comes a contrast where you've got everything that makes us a society and you're controlling it. And now you're saying that, oh, you're a society, you could get your own vaccines now. Um, so I guess with regards to COVID-19, a lot of people have this um, this idea, um, and I've heard it a lot, uh, about, you know, Palestine has got a government. Um, it's got a government, it's being voted in by the people. Um, um, and why should Israel be responsible for, you know, providing vaccines? So this was an argument a, a, a uh, a few months back, I guess, yeah. um, um, you know, w when there were news stories about Israel get being the first to vaccinate its population or being mm -hmm. the most successful, um, whereas Palestine, on the other hand, which it occupies, barely had any vaccinations going on. Yeah. Um, so I would just like to clear up this and I would just like to say Palestine, in essence, most Palestinians don't believe that they have a government. Palestinians, the, the current Palestinian government, if you want to call it that, is what has not been voted in it's not been elected there's not been any elections in palestine since 2006 we're now in 2021 and halfway through that um and so it doesn't represent the people the most recent elections were cancelled by the very president that controls us right now um and that was and he cited concerns of israel not allowing the um i believe east jerusalem um residents the jerusalem arab the palestinian J jerusalem residents to vote in the elections so um it, it, you could say that israel and the palestinian government that cor the corrupt government um agreed on not carrying out the elections um mm -hmm. and 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 this has been a spiral this this had a, this has had a spiraling effect and this is what's mm -hmm. led to the uh, the conflict that we saw um uh, in, in gaza yeah. Um, and I just wanted to. So uh, I know I'm repeating myself a bit, but um, we since we don't have a government um, uh, and a lot of people would hold this government responsible for have given us access to health care. Um, since this government is not elected, it doesn't represent the people. The only thing that you can infer is that this government is corrupt. Right. It's not had any elections. It's not held accountable for its people. Because elections are the the things in a democracy that hold leaders accountable. You know, mm. it, 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 let's just say Boris Johnson, if a lot of people don't like him, don't like his um, attitude, don't like his, um, um, you know, his policies, in the next general election, he's not going to be voted in. Um, mm. But we don't have that opportunity. It's being mm. banned by Israel. It's being prevented um, from happening by Israel. It's being prevented from happening by the corrupt Palestinian government that we currently have. And so mm -hmm. healthcare is on a basis where the people in government and who work for the government mm -hmm. are getting the best healthcare. And then the yeah. normal people, the general population, do not get anything. Well, and this mm -hmm. is being echoed throughout Palestine. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. what we have now is a government that it, what Palestinians would call is propped by Israel. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And because you have a government in charge of palace of uh, in charge of the um, West Bank, and you have a government in charge of the Gaza, obviously Hamas with Gaza, and us with the PLO, um, mm-hmm. the West Bank with the PLO. But on both sides, mainly with the West Bank, the people don't get a choice; they don't get the access to healthcare that they should. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is being propped on both sides, as I said, as I said before. So, with regards to COVID nineteen, we cannot get COVID nineteen vaccines because yes. we're a state that's controlled; all our resources are controlled by a different state yeah. and occupying power. And we don't have a government that is willing to sit down mm-hmm. and listen to its people and take on the fact that we can take take the suffering of the people and say, okay, well, we're going to organize us ourselves and we're going to get some vaccines. We're going to get increase, our, develop our healthcare. We're going to develop mm-hmm. our people's lives. No, we don't have that. So yeah. we don't have, in essence, what I'm trying to say in government, whatever you say, mm-hmm. whatever different people say, um, you know, we, we don't have a working government that represents its people. And mm-hmm. so it cannot be put in charge of bringing us or giving us uh, developed healthcare, um, in any sense, shape, way or form. Um, mm-hmm. And it can't be, um, you know, put in a situation where it can protect us. Um, um, mm-hmm. You know, it's not protecting us any sort of wage. Um, and we're just, you know, the, the people, the Palestinian mm-hmm. people are the people who are suffering. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas you have leaders sitting on both sides, Israel uh, and the corrupt leaders of the Palestinian PLO sitting on both sides saying, all right, you know, we're just going to let everything happen. Whatever happens, happens. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. So like the way you kind of described it, it's almost like a hierarchy. So the ones at the top, pretty much who are in the government, they receive all the perks, whereas your average person doesn't receive anything. So it, which leads me to kind of think, is it is perhaps the the thing that like the demotivating factor for the politicians to speak up about this in the you know corrupt Palestinian government is that they already have the perks. So why, why should we help the other person? Why should we? Because we're already in this position where we get yeah all the good stuff you know yeah, um, you, you could also you could also say they don't want the opposition to come into power as well um oh, okay yeah. just for, just following just following the election in 2006 i do remember this because i was on the at the time yeah um so following that election the current uh government uh, within palestine actually lost that election um and then, uh, some sort of conflict arise from that between the two parties yeah. uh, i remember in Gaza, there was there was uh, i think in 2007 around 2008, there was, uh, you know, an actual fight between the two. Um, just following that as well, which is quite interesting, is when was the blockade actually imposed on Gaza? It was in 2007, and it was after yeah. this current government lost that election. So that does raise a lot of you know, oh, concerns, yeah. a lot of questions on what's actually happened behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, just one thing as well about, I forgot to mention about the COVID-19 situation within Gaza. Uh, similar to the, to the West Bank, we are you know, lacking the amount of vaccines in order to vaccinate the population. Yeah. Uh, I think in Gaza, only like 2% of the population is actually vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's due to the blockades, etc. cetera. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it's, it's caused a lot of, um, you know, problems within Gaza. We're talking around 110,000 coronavirus infections mm-hmm. uh, and around, around 1,000 deaths. Um, and you can imagine how difficult that is with the current condition yeah. uh, of the overcrowdedness um, and the increase in population. Yeah. Um, just one thing as well about the, the economy that we briefly touched on before previously, uh, in terms of the farming uh, and the fishing, which is, you know, the two prominent uh, occupancies of the of, the, of Gaza. Uh, in 2014, you know, Israel actually declared a buffer zone along the border. Um, yeah. 
and that was in during that war uh, so that this buffer zone basically reduces the amount of land available for people to live on or farm on um, and, sim and, and similar sanctions are on uh, for, for the fishing for, for the people that are involved in the fishing industry we're mm -hmm. talking about Israel imposes a fishing limit meaning that mm -hmm. gardens are only can only fish within a certain distance um, mm -hmm. of the shore um, yeah so th these are two points that we also need to take into account Wow, like I wouldn't imagine that because I know obviously we describe Gaza as an open air prison, but now that I've kind of visualized the map in my mind, it, it extends to also the sea as well. So they even draw a border where, where you, you can mm. go fishing, which is just crazy. Um, but all these points that you, uh, Khalid and Omar, brought up just made me think about all the pressures that are in Gaza and West Bank, especially how it's kind of like um, they're almost encouraging the Palestinians to leave the land in any way, shape, or form. You know, so I want to ask a question to you, Omar. Um, so let's say a Palestinian wants to leave and live in a neighboring country. Um, how would that process be like? And is there like, um, are they do they welcome them or how is that like? They're not allowed. Mm. We Palestinians are not allowed in any country. So I don't have the right as a Palestinian to go to Jordan and even buy a house. Wow. Never mind actually live in Jordan. Wow. Um, same thing in all the Arab countries. Um, we have got pressure from those countries in order to force us to stay in our land. Because right. this is a whole political game and I'm not going to go into the politics of it. But they want us to stay in our land. Um, and then you've got Israel wants us to leave our land. Yeah. Um, and we've got the pressure. We've also got rights on our side. We've got the rights of the... Um, you know, the, the, of international law. So we've got international law backing us up, you know, um, even up to the point where we say we ha we can go, you know, the Palestinian refugees, which, by the way, 80% of Gaza, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. Khalid, but yep. are refugees. They're refugees from the 1948 war. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so they have, under international law, they have the right mm -hmm. to go back to their lands, to their homes that were taken from them yeah. within that war. Or as a Palestinian, you know, when we have the we have these settlements now going on, and Israelis coming and uh, Israeli settlers coming and taking the la our land and our homes, we also have a right under international law to go and claim these lands back because right. Israel is an occupying power and it has no right to you know allow settlers to come and take and develop. Um, mm -hmm. You know, um, and and we've not seen any actions. You know, we've seen occupying powers before. And we've not seen that we've we've not seen anything anything like the actions that Israel of Israel right now in history, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we have no rights. In answer to your question, we have no rights. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we can't go to a different country. Like yeah. uh, I know many um, um, Jewish friends, I would say, yeah. um, or Israelis that I know would say, you know, you could go to Arab countries, go there. Um, what's the point in you being here? Uh, what's the point in you just being suffering in, in, in your own area? And I've heard it many a time, right. but we really can't. Um, we're, yeah. we're being trapped inside a box where we've got yeah. an occupying power who's oppressing us yeah. and powers around us who are saying, yes, we understand your plight, but it's going to be even worse for you if you leave. It's going to be even worse for the Arab, if you want to talk politics, it's going to be worse for the Arab countries that surround Israel if we yeah. leave. And so there's pressure on both sides and Palestinians are caught in the middle um, mm. and we're, we're just forced to suffer continuously. Yeah. And I really do hope that there's an end to this conflict where Israelis yeah. and Palestinians are treated equally 
Um, and international law is respected by Israel. Inshallah. Yeah. Well, like everything you two talked about in this podcast is just the sort of image that the reality of what is actually happening is so different compared to the common misconceptions that people have, especially about the government. A lot of people believe that Palestine has like a robust, strong government, but reality, all these things, when you think about it, it's just like, how is this even allowed at this point? You know, um, but so it just makes me think like, what are the common, like Khaled, I have a question for you. So what, what, are the, what how are like, um, you know, the Palestinians there now, mm. what are their feelings and perspectives about what is going on now, would you say? You know, of course the people, well in Gaza, I'm sure it's the same in the West Bank, are just devastated, mm. you know, they're constantly mm -hmm. being violated for their human rights, uh, you yeah. know, Israel is denying them the rights to return to their homes. You know, a lot of Palestinian families are still holding on to the keys that they left with in 48, uh, the, the keys yeah, to their homes. Yeah. And and it's like, you know, the people are, have had enough. The people are, are sick and tired of, you know, the, the oppression that's against yeah. them. Um, and then when they do protest against Israel, they also risk the chances of them being killed. We're talking about in 2018, if you guys remember, there was a spring great, in, in the spring, there was a great yeah. march of return protests. Now, Israel opened fire killing 60 protesters and wounding yeah. around 3,000 others, okay? Now, these protesters were from Gaza. They were protesting at the borders. Now, there was a story I'm sure you guys probably read before, but there was a paramedic or, or a Palestinian nurse called Razan Al-Najjar, yeah. and she was actually killed uh, trying to help, you know, the protesters carrying the wound away from, from the borders. So, you know, the Palestinians, they, they're left, I won't say hopeless, because, yeah. the, you know, to be Palestinian, you also have to be resilient. You have to stand firm on your ground because it's, it's your right. Uh, you know, we, we can't we can't fall onto our knees against the occupiers. We must go all the way until we you know we, we free Palestine, we liberate Palestine, inshallah. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. So the people like, they, like like Omar said, they're stuck in the middle. Um, they're really hoping you know someone comes or some government comes that can help them or the Arab world could unify the uh, United. Sorry to 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 aid them through this. Um, this, I want, you know, they want to call it a conflict. You know, you can't mm -hmm. call it a conflict when one side has one of the best armies within the region and the other side only has yeah. rocks and, and, and sticks. So mm -hmm. it's like, you know, they, they, they you know, they're always going to stay firm on the ground. Um, and just the praise, they're, they're very strong people. That's that's what I get from the people in Gaza, and I'm sure the people yeah. same for the people in West Bank. Absolutely, strong people. And we have we have absolute respect for the people in Gaza because yes, we are suffering. But people in Gaza suffer even more and to an extent where, you know, it's just shocking for us. And we're standing for solidarity with the people of Gaza. Um, and, 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 and to us, they represent the Palestinian cause and the Palestinian people as a whole. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, but I, I wanted, in, in, in answer to your question, um, I guess it's important when looking at the you know young people and what they see as as, as the future and what they think about the future of the present situation. Yeah. I think it's important to touch on the education, the employability, the um, uh, availability, you know, the housing conditions, um, and you know the violence and security that you see around us. So mm -hmm. I guess I could touch on these four points um, yeah. by first answering what are the housing conditions are like. So with us, the housing conditions are, it's a real struggle for Palestinians as young people um, 
So I guess, no, no, no. I'll, I'll answer a different question um, and I'll come back to that one. So I would say, how are the opportunities or employability rates like in Palestine? So 60% of Palestinians really do not have a job or are not employed in any sort of way, shape or form. Uh, and I'm sure in Gaza it's around the same, it's around the same thing. Um, yeah. And we, you find youth who are, you know, who, who have gone through um, high school, they've gone through university uh, or the American format. So it's high school, university, um, and they've graduated, they've done the master's, some even a PhD, and in, they, they have no jobs. They, they, they can't access, um, uh, um, you know, uh, a, a way, uh, something that they, you know, they can't access any jobs in, in any sort of way uh, yeah. and a lot of them try to leave the country in order to access those jobs so for example going into neighboring arab countries um and a lot of them do do that go to things like that or get a scholarship um, um but it's a real struggle and many many palestinian youth don't have access to that and when you don't have access to education what else is there for you to do you think I put in all the effort in my life, and I'm sure, yeah, university listeners may be listening to this. And they imagine if you're, you're you're a university student right now, and you're thinking about the future. You're you're now thinking about the future of where you're going to go to, or what you're going to achieve, what job you want. Yeah. Um, you might not be sure of the type of job you want, but you you think you you know what sector you want to go into. Imagine that you didn't have, you didn't know anything like that. You, you, you just finished your learning. You finished your studying to the highest level, and you don't know how you're going to progress. You yeah. don't know what you're going to do in the future, um, and you don't know whether you're going to land a job or not. And then there comes a point where you start thinking, uh, and, and it, like it, it has to happen. There's no way of not of it not happening. In me learning, what is the point in me? progressing what is the point in this what is the point in that and i guess that's the point in having pressure um mm -hmm. on employment and jobs and things like that and i would say a lot of palestinians so israel benefits from palestinians in the fact that it's got cheaper at labor a lot of palestinians yeah. do work in israel mm -hmm. um and what happens if so in the west bank i know in gaza that's not a possibility but in in, in israel um, a, a lot of Palestinians do work there and they work there as manual labor laborers. They don't work as anything else. Um, so they've got Israel's got an access to cheap labor. And it, it, in a way, it benefits from the fact that, you know, people can't get an edge, can't progress on with their education and use their education and their knowledge to develop society, yeah. um, the society that they live in. Um, so th there's a pressure on um, employment. There's a pressure on everything. And also, when you come to, you, you have to then discuss um, um, the threat of violence and how secure you feel. So as a young chap, as a young uh, person, you go across, you, you live your life. So I'm comparing our lives now here in the UK to the Palestinians. Um, you, you know, you feel secure. Um, you're going to walk out the street. You know that not somebody's not going to shoot you. Um, you. You know that you're not going to see a soldier walking out in the streets. Obviously, if you're in a very secure area, you might. Um, but most likely, you're not. You're going to go anywhere you want. Nobody's going to say anything to you. You have the opportunity to progress in your life. Yeah. Um, but and you have no violence. You don't. You rarely see violence around you. But in Palestine, Palestinians don't have that security in their lives. Mm -hmm. Every time they go outside of their front door. They they don't know if they're going to come back. Yeah. They don't know if they're going to be met by an Israeli soldier. They don't know if they're going to be killed. They don't know if they're going to be um, 
you know, caught up in some type of conflict. They don't know if they're going to cross the border to go to work. For example, as you see, they're going to Israel. They don't know if they're going to cross the border to go to Israel um, in order to work. So a lot of people, they're dependent, they're dependent on the very fact yeah. that, you know, they're going to forget all the problems around them. They're going to forget all the conflict, all the violence and all the security. And they're only going to focus on feeding their children. So, so if they had children, they're going to feed, focus on feeding their children, feeding their family. Because of the constant pressures around them, they have to focus on that. And then this links back to, um, you know, how um, uh, housing and conditions are like. So you can't buy a house because you don't have the, um, you know, the resources to buy that house. You don't, many don't have a job. Or if they do have a job, it's a low-paid job. Or if they do have this low-paid job, it most likely is in Israel. Um mm -hmm they're treated unfairly um uh, uh and so they in order to go to work in israel because i know that there are i know many people who do that yeah. um, they have to wake up from four in the morning oh, go to a crossing mm. and then they might come back at midnight mm. or they might stay there for months on a months on a time for period for you know um for long periods of time yeah. Um, in Israel without seeing their family or loved ones in order to and then after a few months they might come back or after a few weeks even um, mm -hmm. so th th there's a constant pressure on them to go and work and to go and get money in order to, to that, is, that we yeah. think is basic and it's a basic human right in order yeah. to feed yeah. their children to feed their family um, mm -hmm. in order to have access to food and so they, they the housing conditions when you think of you know the things that are happening mm -hmm. you know Many of them, yes, they think of a house. They want to have a future, just like every single one of us do. Yeah. But when you have all these pressures, the main thing that you care about is family, is close, yeah. you know, loved ones and things like that. And you want to tie yourself to that. Um, and the house, and, and, and then you, yeah, it's, it's an absolute struggle. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, just, I know I've talked a lot, so I'll just pass on to her <laughs> if you want to say anything. No, just, yeah, just, just one thing as well about the housing. I know this is a, a huge issue within the West Bank mainly um because of because it's an occupied territories um just one thing about the housing is that you know the the, the the palestinians within the west bank also you know have a risk of losing their homes to due to forced evictions um, yes. we've seen it in sheikh jarrah we've seen it in, in in silwan as well which is a neighborhoods within uh origins around jerusalem um so yeah you have that constant pressure of losing your home for you know no reason at all uh the israeli government also you know forces you to you know, demolish your own house or else you have to pay fees for the demolition that they do. Um, so these are the sort of pressures wow. within the West Bank. Also, mm -hmm. just want to touch upon um, the situation in Gaza a little bit more. Um, so, you know, 80% of the population in Gaza depend on international aid, right? Um, so you can imagine how the housing conditions are very poor. Uh, like I mentioned before, uh, the poverty is, is striking within Gaza uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, which like the blockade i know i keep repeating myself when i keep mentioning the blockades but it's literally the the main cause the it's one of the main causes mm, but it's really yeah. relevant mm. yeah yeah um and also just about the um the education system so in Gaza is is quite tough uh in the sense that most of the schools actually run a double shift system um so you'd have one school of of students in the morning and another in the afternoon so a lot of children don't even have a full school day. They force it to be split in half as a result of the, you know, the huge amount of, of students. We're talking about an average class size of, of 41 uh, pupils, which was recorded, I think, earlier in 2019. Um, 
Wow. But yeah, like around 60, 66% of these pupils actually stay on high school and complete the upper secondary or the equivalent of sixth form uh, and then move on to university. The rest, uh, you could imagine, drop out of school for financial reasons, particularly the boys, um, you know, to support their families, etc. And another thing to also take into account is, you know, these a lot of school children do die or are injured as a result of these wars. Yeah. Now, these deaths and injuries can strongly affect the emotional, uh, you know, the psychosocial well-being of students or yeah. the teachers, the communities that they're in. Uh, and in some cases, it can create a challenge for some students, uh, you know, in accessing or attending school. So that could have a, a huge impact on, on, on the education in, in, in that sense. Um, and you also have schools that are being bombarded by Israel. Um, mm-hmm. We're talking nearly 15 schools just in that 11-day war, that recent one, you know, were mm-hmm. damaged. Uh, that's a lot of children, you know, not having uh, a school to go to. Um, and, you know, worldwide, you know, schools mm-hmm. should provide students with, a, you know, a safe place, yeah. a place where they, they feel secure uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, develop the skills for the future. Definitely. However, you know, we're now asking, like, don't these Palestinian children deserve to live in safety as well? Mm-hmm. Uh, don't they deserve to also achieve their dreams? You know, these these are the pressures that are imposed on Palestinians from a really young age, yeah. um, and it could stay with them. It could, it could stay. It could stay with them for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could say it's a sense of uh, hopelessness as well uh, that these children um, experience. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and it's really unfair. You know, a lot of people, of course, in, in protests, etc. You know, were focusing on the children because the children are impacted the most within these um, warfare's. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that's one thing to take into account. Um, mm-hmm. And in terms of the employee to, uh, employability rates, uh, within, as uh, Omar mentioned, yeah, it's it's a huge, it's a high percentage, especially for the youth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking around seventy percent, um, wow. and that could be partly as a result of the pandemic. Um, you know, obviously with the pandemic, you have even more limited uh, trading across the borders, leaving a lot of uh, you know work working spaces unavailable for a lot of people. Um, and you could, if you do go to Gaza uh, one day, uh, or if Omar does go to Gaza at some point, um, somehow, you know, you'd be able to see the the, the housing conditions. You know, they're, they're not the greatest. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're talking about sewage sometimes on the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about you know rubbish everywhere, etc. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 a it's a mess. Um, and it, obviously, when you have that such such of a small area. To work with and a, and a huge population of course there's going to be um you know uh, yeah. a lot of uh, implications with it in terms Definitely. of it's hard to 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 deal with mm-hmm. but yeah wow well you just you both brushed up on so many different points um especially you Khaled, as you were talking about how the employability rate as well and how there's 41 children in one classroom which makes me think that you know, um, children learn best when there's one-to-one or like a smaller classroom size, mm. smaller classroom ratio in regards to the teacher. But there being 41 students for one teacher, it just shows you the quality of the education as well. And mm. not even that, but how, Amar, you were talking earlier about how a lot of Palestinians, um, they leave the country as well and scholarships. It just shows you how um, the economy cannot even flourish because the key workers are leaving it. So in a way, it's kind of like a spiral getting worse and worse. Um, yeah, it's just so demoralizing. And even Omar, though, you were talking about how um, a lot of workers, the commute to work, going to Israel, that can take, they have to wake up so early, come back so late. It's just like, it's like 
so emotionally draining there's no time for you to even do other things other than the bare necessities of trying to feed your family trying to get a basic education and it just kind of traps you in that in that cycle of running on that on that basic level um which is just so sad and we we never really see it that way as like we always think that there's a there's a government in Palestine there's a structure there's safety when I go outside you know but in reality it's just it's just so sad that the actual reality of it um but it makes me think about something else. So this is a question to you, Omar. Um, what would you say is your happiest memory um, in your childhood living in West Bank? Um, I would say, um, obviously, we've me and Khalid have outlined all the suffering that Palestinians yeah. face, um, all the struggles that we go through, mm-hmm. um, and the apartheid regime that has finally been recognized by you know um human rights watch and um Beit Selim. um and you know we're finally being recognized um you know the, the what we the, the situation that we're living in is finally being recognized by large humanitarian organizations even israeli yeah. ones um but all this suffering um i guess mm-hmm. is not I, I remember all that suffering. I remember all the struggles. Mm. The main thing that I remember is how I'm, I'm sure Khalid will, will echo this. Uh, it, it's about mm. how communities come together. Mm. Um, how not, no, how my whole community is my family. So I live in a town, mm. um, and that town is um, I lived in that town, and then the town is uh, it became my family. We'd we'd surround each other, we'd support each other, we'd always help each other. It'd be you know like what we've had with COVID. Um, we've experienced it a bit um, in the UK. Um, you know when all all the people come together to support or for one cause or to support other people who are less um, you know um, less fortunate than them. Mm-hmm. And so this is what's happened. I remember the happiness, um, the way that we go out and we celebrate. You know, we celebrate our differences. We celebrate our life. Um, uh, yes, we're, we're we're bombarded on every single side that we look to, but mm-hmm. we still enjoy life. Yeah. We still mm-hmm. find the joys in life. And if you go to any conflict, forget the Israel-Palestine conflict. Sorry. It, so if you go to all conflicts around the world, you always manage to find people who stand up and continue on with their lives. Yeah. We don't hit a standstill and then say okay, we're not going to go and take a step forward. We're not going to do something else. Um, we can't do this because we're prevented from doing it. No, we continue with our lives. And this is the, something that I, I simply cannot forget. And it's been my motivation throughout my whole life. Whatever struggle that you face, you know, in, in, in let's just say you're in the UK and you face a few struggles with learning or getting a job or things like that. Imagine what they're facing in Palestine. Um yeah. And their, their, whatever the struggles they face, they can somehow combat. They can somehow tackle. And they have this determination to live their lives. Whatever, you know, whatever happens to them, they live their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they encourage others to do it. And, they, you know, we should look, look at them. I, I always look at back at my community. Um, and I always think they went through this. Yes. They went through suffering. They went through war. And so did I as a young as a young lad. And then uh, and then now, you know, my life's a bit better. But mm-hmm. whenever I do face suffering, I always look back and I say, I have to keep moving forward. Yeah. You know, I get this encouragement. And so, yeah, the main thing that I remember is a support of my community and their resilience to keep living life to the full. Yeah. Wow. And Khaled, 
Can you also relate to the motivation and the resilience that Omar is speaking about when he thinks back on the Palestinians living in yeah. Palestine? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, the togetherness um, within the Palestinian communities is one thing that stands out for me. Um, like Omar mentioned, uh, some, uh, he mentioned a little bit about the resilience as well. Um, as well as a strong faith, I find that very, you know, aspiring from the from the Palestinian communities. Um, back in back in Gaza, you know, of, despite all the suffering Omar mentioned and the bombardments by the continuous aggression from the occupier, um, you know, the people still, you know, live through the difficulties. Uh, and that's that's something that's, you know, it amazes me at all times. Mm-hmm. You know, the people like, for example, in Gaza, uh, you know, seeing stories of people losing loved ones, but, you know, th- them still being um, happy after seeing that smile on the martyrs' faces. Um, you know, mm-hmm. in the sense of, you know, the, these people are going to, to, to paradise and show that the highest ranks of paradise. You know, it's, it's that mm-hmm. strong faith that, that, mm-hmm. that also stands out for me. Um, uh, and and in Palestine, you know, there's, you have the support of everyone around you. Uh, no one's really against each other. Um, they're all together. You know, we all have one enemy, and that's the occupier. Um, and in terms of you know, happy memory of me in Gaza. Um, so yeah, like I said, I, I grew up in Gaza. I was born in Gaza. Um, I just remember how like I had all my family around me. Uh, that's something that I won't have. I don't have here, and you know, obviously everyone can relate to if they're not from this country. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, having having your family around you to support you, um, you know, knowing everyone, literally, you know, you could you know who people are from their surnames, um, you know, mm-hmm. where they live, etc. Um, yeah, that, that, that's that's the amazing stuff about uh, the Palestinian communities. Wow, that's that's so heartwarming hearing that. Like, there's still positivity and there's still a spirit, like a fighting spirit, to stand up again despite being oppressed on every single level. You can imagine, you know. Um, like wow mashallah just amazing um but yeah so to conclude i have a final question um for you amar so if there's one thing a listener can take from this podcast that you'd want them to take what would it be um i guess i would just like to add on to everything i said yeah. um i'm sorry to said mm-hmm. um and it'd be the argument about anti-semitism um mm-hmm. and you know, we have the IHRA definition and a lot of people do not know about that, be it Jewish or um, Palestinians um, or people who feel strongly about the conflict. But in um, it, it really does have an effect on the conflict. Uh, mm-hmm. And I encourage everybody to le- research about, you know, definitions of anti-Semitism and everything like that. Um, I guess what we have now is debates and arguments as a Palestinian, I'm facing them where anybody who voices support for Palestine can in essence be called anti-Semitic or lives in fear of being called anti-Semitic because of something that he said and that something could be as simple as saying that Palestinians have a right to exist and then this goes against the definition of anti-Semitism that links Israel with a form of hatred, a form of hate crime against uh, a, a, a group of people, a religious group of people who are Jews. Um, so it's important to, I guess, differentiate um, between anti-Semitism, what is anti-Semitism, um, which is a hatred towards Jews, which is absolutely wrong and it runs in every society, it happens, um, just mm-hmm. like Islamophobia. Um, but it's important to distinguish it from the um, from the Israel from from the relating it from relating it to Israel and um you know uh from preventing 
um, Palestinians from speaking out about uh, speaking out about their rights, about their mm. suffering, about their oppression. Um, and I really, I really would encourage people to um, look, look, look deep into themselves and think. If if somebody if somebody if uh, let's just say if a Jewish person is listening to this, look at what the de uh, definitions of anti-Semitism are there, mm -hmm. and see if that defines you. And if you're not a Jewish person, look at what definitions of anti-Semitism are there, and think, oh, can they affect me in any sort of shape, in, in any way, shape, or form? And if they can affect you, so let's just say you're a Palestinian supporter, if they can affect or they have an effect on you speaking out as an activist about Palestinians' rights and Palestinian suffering. Mm. Um, then you should go and speak to your institution, organization, and try to do something about it because it's really mm. having an effect on um, everyone, um, especially due to the fact that it, it, we are seeing it more in institutions, organizations, mm. community organizations, and it, it's really um, getting a deep grip on every day of our lives. And it, yeah. has, it has a danger of um, influencing the debate about Israel and Palestine. Yeah where it's one-sided towards Israel and we forget about the suffering of Palestinians. Yeah, that, that's such a good point you, you just brushed about, uh, Omar, because I know a lot of people I know in real life, a lot of the reasons why they're hesitant to speak about the situation in Palestine is because they they are, they fear that they're going to be labelled um, as an anti-Semite or perhaps that they'll get in trouble from their company or they'll lose their job and things like that. So the yeah. fact that you told you know the listeners to google what it actually means to be you know anti-semitism and to like draw a straight line through that blurry boundary of you know where we stand that is very mm -hmm. empowering advice and I, I highly encourage everyone to do that as well um mm -hmm. but yeah Khalid what about you what what is something you think a listener should take from this podcast would you say yeah, so this quite fits in with what Omar just mentioned. Of course, we're, we're yeah. against all sorts of anti-Semitism. Um, same thing with Islamophobia, you know. Um, we must avoid it at all times. But, you know, voicing the people of those who are oppressed is nothing to do with anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's one thing that people need to keep in mind. Um, so, like, literally nothing scares the Israeli occupation, you know, more than the voices of the Palestinian people. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it's... It should be our duty to to amplify that voice um, and you know keep spreading the message uh, on social media or whatever you know in protests or just doing speeches in public. Um, you know that message that Israel you know is a is a settler colonial state um, and an occupier, um, and we have to let you know educate the people uh, and let people know about the apartheid system yeah. um, that this occupier has put in place. Um, so that so that that's. That's the things that you know, I'd say I'd conclude from this um, from this podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. Hopefully, you know it's, it's it's informative and people you know have a different perspective of what life is like in, in yeah. Gaza or within the West Bank. Uh, mm -hmm. And hopefully, they can carry some of the messages that have been said by uh, Omar and me um, mm -hmm. in this podcast, and you know keep spreading that message. Um, and you know our objective is 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 to just you know get rid of this oppression you know the oppression should not be in place at this time you know in 2021 yeah. uh, we're talking about israel being the only colonial state existing within this world um yeah. and you know inshallah we do see the liberation of Palestine, and you know people work together uh, and be the voices of the palestinian people um and you know just just keep going at it 
definitely wow that's that's very empowering what you just said and i agree in this age day you know day and age 2021 how is this even allowed at this point you know um and thank you so much Khalina and Omar for sharing your, your perspectives and your experiences um, living as a Palestinian in Palestine. You know, we're often seeing Palestine in the media all the time, but I feel like people, they kind of, they cannot relate and it, they almost become desensitized to always seeing this thing, but seeing how they also live their lives, they also have to go to work, they also are facing all these things. And, you know, by sharing the emotional part of it, we are able to relate and truly connect with the people in Palestine. So thank you very much for sharing your experiences with us. And thank you listeners for listening to this podcast. If you have any other topic recommendations for future podcasts, please leave a comment below and continue sharing the message. We will not stop here. Only because there's a ceasefire doesn't mean it's ended. So Karen sharing and inshallah, one podcast at a time, one share at a time, we will be closer towards ending this war, inshallah. And take care.